Hello and welcome to another season of Marketing Connected, where we discuss pertinent topics with leaders in the marketing and advertising industry. I am your host, Janice Tan. In this week's episode, we hear from comedian Sharul Chana on how she got started on her journey as a stand-up comedian and the need for diversity in Singapore's art scene. Sharul also shares with Marketing Interactive's regional editor, Rizwana Manjor, on how she created a brand name for herself and how her content has evolved during COVID-19. Hi, Sharul. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Rez. Let's just go straight at it. I wanted to ask you, how did you start your journey as a comedian? So um, I was trained in theatre from La Salle. Uh, so right after my O-levels, I got straight into La Salle and I did my acting diploma. Uh, that, at that time, it was a diploma. It wasn't a degree. And it was a three-year diploma in theatre arts acting. And for me, I thought, this is it because I always want to do acting and do theatre and do films and do all of that. Um, but at that time, when I graduated, of course, the, you know, the market was open for artists to do speech and drama teaching because there was not enough work for people of my demographics. So, you know, if you're a, if you're an Indian woman of a certain color, it, you know, automatically people don't know where to put you in the media in Singapore, right? Uh, they don't know where should they place you because uh, you don't, you're not the conventional face that would get into uh, Channel 8 drama because A, the language barriers or in Channel 5, um, when, they, when they see you're Indian, the automatic thing to do is to stereotype you, right? So I wasn't getting any jobs and uh, it was a bit tough and I would go for auditions and I would feel really dejected. So I said, ah, I don't think I can, Singapore is for me. So I left for Mumbai and I was in Mumbai for six months, uh, three to six months. And I think somewhere in the middle, I kind of met um, a theater actor who sort of advised me to go back to Singapore and said that, you know what, you need to go back to Singapore and make it there. And some point India will call you back in some kind of capacity. And when I came back, I was so upset. And at that time, Rishi, whom I was dating at that time, uh, he had just started doing stand-up. Like, he was six months into it and there was a new open mic scene. And there were no Singaporean women doing it. So the, the club owner said, um, so it was Comedy Masala and Umar Rana was running it. And he still is. And he said, uh, Cheryl, can you just jump up and do two minutes? Because there are no women doing it. We need women to jump up. Like, you know, they're all like, it's a cock fest. Mm. And uh, that's when I started doing, um, I, I did my first three minutes, uh, two, three minutes. And it was, I found it to be very liberating because, you know, it was my own script and I was the actor, I was the performer, I was the director, I was the producer. And it just opened up a new world for me. Mm. And that's such a long answer, but yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it brings out a couple of key points there that, you know, the need for diversity is still, um, I think it's still a very prominent issue in, in the art scene, even though it, it has come a long way. Um, yeah. And of course, the other thing that I want to bring up is, is you being a woman in the comedic scene um, might have, might come across that you have an advantage already because there's not that many women, right? Compared to mm-hmm. Uh, the number of male artists. Do you think you ever relied on your gender as a point of differentiation for yourself? You know, um, 
there is uh, there are advantages and disadvantages of being a woman in the scene where there aren't enough women in the scene. The advantage, the disadvantage is, or at least for any woman who's joining the scene where there are very few women in the scene and there are many more men. So they're like about 15 guys and one woman. That's the ratio to say, um, is that a, you have no role model to look up to. Okay. Uh, because the rest of the actresses who have been doing, uh, comedy monologues, they are acting, they, they are actors and they essentially have a script written by someone else and they are TV actors who are just taking a script, reading it and doing it so well, right? So you don't have a stand-up comedy role model to look up to. Two, um, it is way easier for a man to immediately start getting shows and gigs than a woman. So if you're a woman in the stand-up scene, you have to fight it out for three years first. So for the first three years, you need to stick by everything like the prejudice and um, you know people not giving you that kind of space that you deserve or at least you think you deserve or you know trying to fit into a group of men who are essentially find uh, cock jokes really funny and you know boisterous humor as well and Immediately, if you step in and do a boisterous joke, it's almost like, hmm, can't hear that from a woman's mouth. So mm. I think for any woman, three years is a minimum for you to stick, at least stick, just to stick in, to start actually doing well. Yeah. After those three years, if you can stick and if you can get over everything that's happened to you in those three years, then it's a very big advantage because then people are going to be like, oh, we need a female woman stand-up comedian's perspective. So let's, who do we go to? Okay, let's go to Cheryl. Mm. Uh, we need a woman's voice when it comes to stand-up. Who do we go to? Let's go to Cheryl. And then in the earlier days, they used to call me an Indian female Singaporean stand-up comedian. You see? Now it's just a Singa- female Singaporean stand-up comedian. You know? And I think that's very important because you need to separate yourself from your race. Yet you need to acknowledge your race. And then you have a lot of, you have to, and it might be like, oh, you know, what's your responsibility as a stand-up comedian? You know, as a woman comedian, you have a lot of responsibilities Mm. because what you might say on stage has a lot of weight for other women because they're watching you talk about these, either about issues or not about talking about issues. Even if you're doing a shit joke, you don't want to represent women badly. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. How did you then create a name and a brand for yourself? I think I did not intentionally do it. I just kept doing what I love for eight years without taking a break. Mm. I mean, in touch with, I haven't had the chance to take a break at all, right? Like mm. for the past eight years, every day, something, right? When you're, when you're a freelancer, every day your mind is running as to what do I do next? What do I do next? Even now when we're at COVID times uh, and we're indoors, every day we're thinking, what do I put on my socials today? What content do I want to put on? Which is your brain's way of fighting the situation, embracing it, and yet going, let's create something new and shift gears. Learn how to shift gears, right? Did you have to break that boundary of your race not being attached to your label? Did you have to push for it? Um, no, I, I just made my, um, focus bigger than my race. So initially, yes, I used to talk about being Indian and I still do, but I, I said, what am I, you know, you know, you have to, it's like the, the thing about picking your battles. There are enough people in Singapore today who are fighting the Indian battle and it's not like it's a clickbait, right? But there are enough people going, 
don't say this, don't say that. Um, you just have to shift focus, right? Um, initially, I used to fight for, for what Indians stand for in Singapore, right? And the, the issues that minorities in Singapore go through uh, where it concerns representation in the media or, you know, just breathing in a space where they're majority Chinese people and they are not racist, you know, they all want to be inclusive. It's just that if you are in a country where they're majority Chinese people, your opportunities will be lesser. It's very natural. Uh, you need to create a space for yourself. You need to say, can I have my space, right? Any minority in any country goes through the same kind of journey. But I said to myself, I said, okay, why am I making my focus so narrow? There are enough people who are fighting for the, for the Indian uh, representation battle. I think my focus is women in general and women's rights and wanting to say that, listen, um, there are other issues. Um, and the moment you say women, you cover a lot of spectrum because you cover your Chinese women, your Indian Malay women, and Malay of any, uh, I mean, women of any color, yeah. creed, race, religion, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Even location. And I think once that happened, it all started making sense to me and making sense to them because then now it wasn't like Charles an Indian female comedian. It was like Charles is now it's a Charles believes in feminism. <laughs> yeah. You know, tomorrow my, my battles might be different. And then they will start calling me as something else, right? And uh, you just have to make the focus bigger. And then it shouldn't be about the clickbait. It should be about what you really believe in. Yeah, because many times now you know that if something comes up, it's always the fastest fingers first as to who's going to spot Indians first, and then goes virals, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a viral comedian, right? But it's hardly about that. It's it's yeah. about what you're passionate about. So so on that note, in in terms of keeping true to yourself as an artist, your DNA, do you think aspiring artists should be doing that or? Should they have a level of flexibility before making it big? Mm, you know, um, in today's world, making it big is such a subjective term because you can make it big by going on Instagram and putting out like 30 seconds video of your dog, um, you know, or even like videos of yourself just... Um, doing TikTok dances, right? I mean, that's what I discovered about myself when I, now in these COVID times. <laughs> I, I, I think that there is no one way to make it big. But having said that, being popular is one thing, but finding yourself and finding your voice and finding your truth is another. So the balance of both is very important. Once you find your voice and you find your truth, it takes a longer time to become popular because you're not necessarily saying what the audience wants to hear. But becoming popular is slightly easier or way more easier than actually finding your voice. So if you become popular first and then you find your voice, it's a bonus. But if you just become popular and you don't find your voice and you don't put out your truth out there, people are going to lose interest in you. You touched on the topic of not having a break. And I can see that you're not taking a break with the numerous types of content that you're coming up with right now, despite mm -hmm. the lockdown. So I want to talk a little bit about how your content has had to evolve. Um, as someone who's done a lot of live shows, TV, I, I see you moving to a lot more IG content. Um, you did a play online as well recently on a, on a sort of webinar. Um, kind of feel if I'm not wrong how, yeah, on Zoom yeah yeah how do you feel that you've had to change your skill set 
I think, and I would definitely say that this is not something that everyone can immediately do. And that doesn't mean that I am better off than anybody else. It's just that you have to be a bit of a hustler to sort of shift gear as fast as possible. I never thought that I would do like IG Live. And then I wouldn't, I never thought that I would uh, do TikTok dance videos. I never thought that I would do so many things that I'm doing right now, to be honest. So for example, you know, last time we would write, write our jokes and be like, okay, I'll release my jokes later on. But now I just write it in text and I put it on my Instagram. So right. every day I'm putting out one story, one joke, one thought process that is going on or one experience I'm going through. Uh, like this morning, I put up something about a conversation I actually had with a friend yesterday about how he was saying that a lot of pilots are now driving Grab because they don't have jobs. And he was saying that that's very sad. And I said, you know, that's not sad. It's, it's still a humble living and it's good to, what's wrong with driving Grab? And then I said, my bigger issue would be at what point would the pilot think that this, this car should be able to fly? And, and you know, and, and, and then I'm like, all right, I can't wait to go on stage to write this. I'm going to write this on Instagram um, in conversation style. And then I would do videos of like uh, me dancing on TikTok because I haven't been clubbing and I'm like, I need to just release this in, in from my body. I mean, that's how we go clubbing, right? We, get, we go to a dark room to get drunk and watch other people dance and they, let, they see us dance. And I'm like, let me just get that out of the way as well. Um, I've been going live on Instagram to talk to different people, uh, not necessarily recording it and leaving it there because to be very honest, there are a lot of good people out there, but there are also a lot of, I mean, if I may use the word, uh, stupid uh, individuals out there who are just keyboard warriors who will go back to your content and be like, but you said this yeah, and that's why you are this. And there's a lot of pressure for artists to be given godlike responsibilities mm-hmm. and we don't have, we are as uh, clumsy and, and I mean, we do, as, we do a lot of dark jokes. We say inappropriate things all the time when we're uh, alone. So we will take responsibility when it's time to take responsibility, but we'll also be goofy and stupid. We just don't want people to catch us at our worst goofy times and use that as a yardstick and put it out there and go like, you know, this person did this, you know, and you never know when that comes out, right? Yeah, I, I guess that kind of brings me to one of the questions that I had for you. How do you balance that side of comedic relief and and um, content that actually impacts society. I mean, when Rishi did our Instagram uh, takeover, there was a question um, on how can we as marketers kind of work with you? Because sometimes you never know what a comedian is going to say and you don't know how that's going to come across as a brand who's partnering with them for a certain initiative. So what advice would you have? I'd say if you're doing something for yourself, you know, many times you have to have that balance. You can't just do things and content for the public. It's not always about pleasing them. Because you, as an artist, you're doing something because it pleases you. The more it pleases you, the more it is true to your voice, the more other people will connect to it. Either they'll connect to it because they have never seen this point of view, or they will connect to it because they hate what you're saying, Mm. or they'll connect to it because they're like, oh, it's a new perspective. I think I want to go with her. So there's a lot of pressure. See, if, you, if you're getting paid to do a show for a corporate, it's very focused. We know why we're doing it. They know why they're getting us. It's for money. So if they say, can you not use the word fuck or shit or cock or suck? We're like, all right, no problem. 
But if I'm doing something for myself and I want to say suck and cock and fuck and clit, then I will say it, you know? So it's about knowing when you have that creative right and being true to yourself while being the right partner for the brand as well. Absolutely. If a brand wants to partner you, say it's uh, sanitary napkins, right? You can't do a joke. You have to do a joke in line with their pol- their policy and what they believe in, right? right? And also you can't partner every brand. You're not for every brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can't be doing something for, for children's product. I don't have a child. So then you are not being true to yourself. Like, like, you know, like fairness creams, right? When I see people advocating fairness creams, I'm like, don't do that. You know, I mean, I wouldn't advocate a fairness cream ever. That's something I'm like, it's not in line with my, my value system. Yeah. Of course, you have many artists who are like, screw the value system, bring yeah. the money, I will sell everything you want me to sell. What was the first brand partnership for you like? Wow, that was quite some time back. And um, I don't remember now. But you know, um, I, what I do remember is once I think I was talking f- to an advertising sort of seminar. It was a cu- quite a huge thing. It was done by this 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 advertising company and a lot of people flew down and, and basically they, they told me that we want you to talk about topics like being a woman and, you know, advocating this and this and this and this. And then I had to write a set on that. And yeah, I mean, you know, what has started to happen is that people want to know who you are and then match the product or the brand that's most, that's closest to you. I guess my next question would be, how do you keep sane with so many keyboard warriors out there, so many people with their opinions? People are going to keep talking regardless of what you do, but does that get to you as a person? Um, not as much, uh, not, not as much yet. It doesn't actually, doesn't, it doesn't get to me. I'm, I'm very thick skinned that way, but it may be if I start, if I suddenly wake up tomorrow with 10 million Instagram followers and, uh, I, and my popularity increases overnight, which could happen, right? Tomorrow we wake up and you call me and you're like, we were talking about this yesterday, 10 million followers. And like people are writing stuff about you and positive and negative. Then I'll have to change my strategy and, um, make sure I don't get affected because if like out of the 10 million, 5 million people say that I am a bad person, you kind of take that seriously, right? You kind of start um, embodying what people think about you. But no, till now, I have a very uh, tough cover and uh, it takes quite a bit to to do your emotional cleansing because you see, the thing is nobody talks about this, but every day you get up and I mean, most people shower, Okay. <laughs> Okay, most people wake up in the morning and shower at least once. If we are taking regular showers to cleanse our body, why aren't we doing that same thing for our mind? Why is there no importance for mind? Why is there no importance for emotions? Why are we constantly running every day? Why aren't we taking half an hour out every day going, what did I go through yesterday? And what am I not facing? Why am I finishing those two bottles of wines over the week to escape something? Can I just talk to myself first, mm. even if I have to cry it out? Mm. This could be about men and women or, you know, which, whatever sexual orientation you belong to. I think everybody needs to do a mind and emotional cleansing. I totally believe in that. Thank you for listening. Check out our other podcasts on Spotify via the Marketing Connected channel and do give us a follow too. This April, join us at Marketing Interactive's Content360 Virtual Conference as we touch on three main verticals, content production, content distribution, 
and content monetization and B2B content marketing. Held from 6th to 8th April, you will hear from industry players such as Malaysia Airlines, Mami, Tupperware Brands, Banyan Tree, and Yum Brands, among others. For more information, visit www.marketing-interactive.com.